Hello, and welcome to Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. Good morning. Good morning. It's a great morning. Uh, Many of you have heard me mention Pilgrim's Progress before. It was written by John Bunyan over 300 years ago at the end of the Reformation period. Um, And it's basically allegorical with lots of wonderful metaphors. The main character is called Christian. He's supposed to represent kind of all Christians. And um, he starts out as a man without Christ, concerned about his eternal future, feeling guilty for his sins. A man named Evangelist points him in the way to the narrow gate. He goes through the gate comes to the cross, metaphorically his sins are represented as a very, very heavy backpack just weighing him down and he meets Jesus at the cross and the sins fall off and roll away and um, he goes on, you know, Jesus said the gate is narrow and the way is hard. He goes on on that hard way and one of the things that he does is he comes to a place that's meant to encourage him and that's what we're in the middle of a series of three sermons that are meant to encourage you and It's a place called the interpreter's house. And the interpreter represents the Holy Spirit. And he sees a number of different metaphors in the interpreter's house. But I want to share one with you that I hope you will keep with you for the rest of your life. And it will encourage you. The interpreter opens a door down the hallway. And Christian looks in. And he sees a fireplace against the wall. And there's a fire burning in it. And the devil is throwing water on the fire. But every time the devil throws water on the fire, it burns brighter. And Christian says to the interpreter, what's up with that? I don't get that. And the Holy Spirit says, the interpreter says, come with me. And he goes to the other side of the wall that shares the fireplace. He goes to the next room down and opens the door. And if I go over there, it feeds back. Um, We'll do that again. And um, so it's the opposite side of the door where the fireplace is. And on that other side of the wall, there's a hole in the wall and the Holy Spirit is pouring oil into the hole and it pours out onto the fire on the other side in the fireplace, but the devil can't see it. So every time the devil throws water on it, the Holy Spirit pours more oil, it burns brighter, the devil gets angry and frustrated. And the fire doesn't go out because water can't put out an oil-based fire. And the interpreter explains to Christian that this is what faith is like. The fire of a Christian's faith Even though the devil tries everything to put it out, the Holy Spirit supernaturally keeps it going. The Holy Spirit supernaturally maintains our faith in ways that often we can't perceive what's going on and the devil can't perceive what's going on. Now friends, this is wonderful news about your future and about perseverance. It's through supernatural power that followers of Jesus don't abandon him. It's not because you're better than somebody else. It's not because you're smarter than somebody else. Smarter people than you have abandoned Jesus. Thank you. Right on time. <laughs> you know, Paul writes in Romans, they shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword separate us from the love of Christ. No, but not because we're all that. It's because the Holy Spirit works supernaturally to make that happen. The world, the flesh, the devil, they're going to dump everything on your faith, on the fire of your faith to try and smother it and put it out. And it's just going to burn brighter. I hope you'll always remember this from Pilgrim's Progress. I actually hope you'll read the book regularly every couple of years or so. So why do some people who say they are followers of Jesus persevere and some do not? 
can, can you know without any doubt if you personally are going to persevere? Would you open an app or a Bible to Philippians chapter 1? It's on page 980 in the Bible in the pew. Contained within this passage is one of the most famous verses about perseverance. I'm going to start at verse 3. This is the Apostle Paul writing, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, this month marks the 14th year since I arrived at CPC. Janice and I arrived with a couple kids. And my attitude toward you is a lot like Paul's attitude here toward the the church at Philippi. I I thank God for you. Uh, When I think of you, it, it brings me great joy. We're partners in spreading the gospel. But there's an additional way in which the church at Philippi was a partner with Paul. It was the only church that contributed financially to his missionary endeavors going around spreading the gospel. So they were special in that way. It's the only one that he tells us of that did that. We're going to come back to verse 6, but skip to verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. What's that mean? It means he loves them. I love you guys. We love each other here. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So he's saying that he loves them, they've kind of uh, experienced God's grace together, and they've been with him in the difficult times, as well as when they've been spreading the gospel. They've, it's, it's like here, we've been together through thick and thin. When the going gets tough, many people leave relationships, or jobs, or marriages, or churches. Uh, some even leave Jesus. But these people in Philippi, they've been in it together with Paul, and he loves them. And I hope you join me in in feeling that way about us too. Now verse 6, going back, is one of the most famous classic verses about perseverance. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Stacy, I moved your thing so you'll know that's in the wrong spot when you get back here. By the way, CDs available of Stacy and Abe afterwards if you'd like to take them home with you. You can't take them, but you can take the CD. Um, Now, Paul is is sure, he says to the church at Philippi, that they will persevere. Now, the word you is actually plural in the Greek. In some places in America, we would actually say it like this. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in y'all will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I think it would help tremendously if the Bible were translated that way in English so that we're way too individualistic. We tend to read you and we think singular when most of the time it is not. Um, Many other languages don't have that problem. Spanish doesn't have that problem. Portuguese doesn't have that problem. But English, it would be great if we just translated that as y'all. So Paul is not saying that every individual in the church is going to persevere. He's saying the church is going to persevere. Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. And Paul is excited about the future of the church at Philippi. I'm excited about the future of this church. I think that the gates of hell will not prevail against this specific congregation and that our best years are ahead. It is a crucial moment for our church right now um, where we really want to be especially supportive. 
right now, I think I've shared with you, a large group of elders and staff and deacons and some other people are seeking God's will regarding kind of the unique and wonderful ways that God wants us to be his church here as we make disciples, because the Great Commission is to go out and make disciples. And as they're doing that, we just really, as we're doing that, we really need your support in prayer. So please be praying for us as we discern God's direction. But also, as Alan said in the video, the people that handle the money here are super responsible. Um, They don't spend what we don't have. And so as the leaders, as we're looking at what we think God wants us to do in the future, generally what our leaders do is we kind of align ourselves with, with what God seems to be providing financially. So we're dreaming and we're wondering, you know, well, God, should we do this or should we do that? What are, the, what are the financial limits? What are the limits in terms of our geography? You know, how much do you want us to invest in students and children? How much in people in the second half of life? How much in missions? Um, how much do we want the deacons to give away, what Alan was talking about? Do we want to actually help train future pastors by having some interns? Do we want to pay our staff well so they can you know, live in this area? Is this your church? Now, some of your visitors, and I'm not really talking to you about this part, but it applies to your church wherever you're from. In the same way that Philippi was with Paul through thick and thin, including financially, are you with us? And personally, I'm asking you to let us know. If you're not giving regularly to CPC for some reason, as Alon was talking about, please start. Maybe you start with 1% of your income or 2 or 3 If you're already giving, would you just think and pray about increasing the percentage of your income that you give to CPC? Maybe you'd give five. Maybe you'd go to seven or or ten. And I do encourage you, like Alon said, to use Givelify, and you can set it up for automatically. See, a week from this Tuesday, the elders are going to get together. And they're in a process. It's going to keep going on into August, but they're going to be be thinking, are are the finances what they've been? And so we kind of need to dream within those finances. Or are the finances increasing? So what I'm asking you to do is just to send an email to our church administrator, Bob Spencer. We'll put it on screen. And just, if you are planning to either start or to increase, just let him know. And then Bob can just tell the elders. He he keeps it all confidential. He won't say your name. He won't, you know, tell how much or anything. You don't even have to tell him how much. Just if you're going to increase or, or start. And then he can say, yeah, 50 people said that. And the elders will go, whoa, 50 people said that. That changes our reality. Whereas if they say, nobody said that, then they'll know, okay, this is about how we need to align our future dreams. So I hope you'll do that. I hope you'll think and pray about that. Um, in addition, giving has been lower than what we'd hoped for for this year. So this is really kind of a crucial time for the leadership to figure out, okay, what's our financial reality going forward? All right, back to verse 6. So Paul said roughly, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in y'all will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now, I know many of your stories. I've gotten coffee with you or met in your home or in mine, and they're stories of God doing a good work in you. And when I look out at you, I'm very confident that God's begun a good work and he's going to finish it. You're good to go. You're great. I'm not concerned about you. But just as Paul was very confident about the church at Philippi, he was confident about them as a group. Uh, I... I realize that a few of you, and I don't know who, will surprise me. 
and you'll end up abandoning Jesus. And that concerns me greatly. I bet you'd like to know about you as an individual. Why do some people persevere and others not? Can you know about you as an individual to be absolutely certain whether or not you will persevere? So this is the third of three sermons looking at three of God's promises that I hope are encouraging to you two weeks ago about God being present with you, never abandoning you, the Holy Spirit being the down payment inside of you. You should be, different people sense him in different ways, but you should at least periodically sense that the Holy Spirit, the guarantee, is with you. Last week about God's supernatural power, and yes, that does mean to heal people or like Elijah the prophet to bring rain or many other things, every ribbon on the, the wreaths all around, they represent answers to prayer. It's exciting the things God does around here. But it also means uh, inner transformation, and that's pretty much what Peter emphasized when we looked at his uh, passage about the power for life and godliness. And we'll put this on screen. Um, so he listed these virtues, faith, virtue, knowledge, etc., very similar to Paul's fruit of the Spirit that he mentions in Galatians 5, a different list. None of the lists are exhaustive. Um, but he followed it with this admonition to make your calling and election sure by practicing these qualities. It's, what he's saying is that your inner transformation, when you see the fruit of the Spirit, when you see these virtues, it should be assuring you that God has begun a good work in you and he will bring it to completion. It's one of what we classically call in theology the marks of the true Christian. You see, I believe you can know and know absolutely for sure that you will not abandon Jesus, that you will persevere. Now remember Jesus' warning. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you evildoers. We looked at the Reformation last fall and our inheritance from it and the robust biblical theology that came out of the Reformation and was believed by John Bunyan who wrote Pilgrim's Progress made a big deal about this whole question of Assurance of salvation, perseverance, or abandoning Jesus. The Westminster Confession states that you can be absolutely sure, but that also it's possible just to miss out on being sure, to be okay with God, to be fine with God, but just because you don't understand what the Bible teaches, not to really have that peace and joy and gratitude that comes when you know for sure. So how can you know? How can you know that the Holy Spirit will never let the devil throw so much water on your faith that it goes out? Now to the Philippians, Paul says he is sure that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. What's Paul doing? He's looking back in history. He's saying, I know what you were like, I know what you're like now. I can see that God has been working in you, so I'm, I'm confident that you as a group, he is going to continue working. Does it mean that no one will fool Paul? He mentions Demas later in a letter, how Demas used to work with him and then went off chasing after this world and John Bunyan actually uses Demas as an illustration in Pilgrim's Progress. Hope you'll read it. That probably wasn't enough to make you want to read it, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
it's really exciting part where these demons grab a hold of Demas, and it really, actually that's what happens. Um, but Peter is emphasizing Christ-like characteristics up here on top. He says that the inner transformation that you've experienced should make sure your salvation, your calling and election, that God's begun a good work. Classically in Reformed theology, again, these are the marks of the true Christian. So inner transformation is only one of those marks, though. And the book in the Bible that you really want to study if you're at all struggling with knowing what the Bible teaches about how you can be sure that your salvation is secure, that nobody's going to take you out of God's hand, which, it, which Jesus says in John chapter 10, the book that you want to look at is 1 John, written by the Apostle John. And 1 John, I'm going to show you eight characteristics that he, he mentions, but there are actually more. It depends on how fine of a how fine tooth comb you want to look at. So John will talk about, you know, every time you see him say, you can know this by such and such, he'll say, you know because of your belief in God, you believe in Jesus. He says it in several different ways. Or he'll, he says, you know you've passed from death to life because of your love for the brethren, for each other. Or for other Christians, he'll say, because you're becoming more like Jesus, because you've experienced the testimony of the Holy Spirit, which we talked about two weeks ago because of answered prayers, because you're basically obeying God, which means not that you don't sin, but that you don't just continue right on in sin. You repent. You get back on track. That you continue in the fellowship with each other. You don't abandon the church. And that you love God. There are more, but those are a good start. A concise biblical explanation, if, you're, if you'd like to study this more, you can find it in the Westminster Confession of Faith. Very easy to find online. You just, look, you just ask for this chapter, and it's, it's beautifully written, and they're footnotes that have all kinds of biblical references that you can, can study more. Great thing for your small group to do. Knowing for sure that you will persevere and never abandon Jesus is very important if you're going to be at peace. There are other religions and even other um, people who are wonderful Christians but believe slightly differently than, than we do that believe they can never know. And they don't get that, that peace and assurance. Uh, it gives you a great deal of joy and just gratitude and relief. So I hope you'll, you'll study until you are sure that you understand what First John and the rest of the New Testament say about this. So can you know for sure that you will persevere? Yes, absolutely. Well, why do some persevere and others do not? Now, another metaphor is Jesus' parable of the sower. And I mention it often because Jesus said, if you don't understand that parable, you're not going to understand any parable. So we go over it various times. But in the parable, Jesus says, a farmer goes out and he sows seeds. Some falls on the path, birds gobble it up. Some falls on Rocky soil, stony ground, it's not very much soil. They, it sprouts up immediately, but when the sun comes out, it withers and dies. Some falls among thorns, it, it sprouts up, but the thorns grow up with it and choke it so it doesn't bear any fruit. And then some falls on good soil and with perseverance yields 100 times as many seeds as were planted. Jesus goes on to explain the parable to the disciples. He says the first soil, the path, are people who they hear, and he says the seed is the word of God. They hear the word and it, it doesn't even register. And the, the Satan just comes and snatches it away and they're, they're, they can't understand. The second one, they actually like what they hear and receive it with joy, but they don't take time to put down any roots. And so he says when temptation or persecution or tribulation come along, the plant withers, dies. The third soil, he says, grows up among the thorns. It's people who hear the word, 
And as their faith grows, it's choked out by the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. And then the fourth soil is the good soil that bears fruit with perseverance. It takes perseverance. What does this parable tell us about why some people persevere and others don't? It's very obviously a parable about perseverance. Some, like the plant in the stony ground, have a shallow faith, a shallow experience of God. They don't take time to put down roots. They're excited about the benefits the gospel promises, but they don't count the costs. They want to add Jesus or belief in Jesus as kind of a department of their life to get some benefit, but they're not going to make Jesus their life. Is that you? They're in for the goodies that Jesus provides, but when temptation or tribulation or persecution comes along, they're surprised, and they say, I didn't didn't sign up for this, and they didn't realize that following Jesus would be so hard, and they abandon him. Now, what can you do to avoid being like the stony ground plant? Well, you count the cost of following Jesus. If you're here thinking, oh, man, I just need to be forgiven and then get on with my life, that's not what Jesus is about. Jesus will change you. He will change the way you spend your time, the way you spend your money. He will change your character. You won't get to do some of the things that you liked before you became his follower. Some of your friends will abandon you. And the suffering in your life, he'll use it to deepen your roots, but there will still be suffering. But there's something that most people, when they count the cost, they forget. And I mean this with all my heart. When you count the cost, remember that following Jesus that not following Jesus costs even more than following him. It's just that the costs are kind of up front when you follow Jesus and you pay later when you don't. I'm, I always remember a guy I know that um, he was given a car when he was young and he was driving around having a great time but nobody told him about maintenance and didn't check the oil and it ran out and the engine seized and that was the end of the car. Had a lot of fun temporarily but didn't do the maintenance that was necessary. And the pleasures of sin are often that way. They're easy. They're just don't, don't think about the future. Don't do what you really should be doing in terms of healthy spiritual habits. Following Jesus gives deeper, lasting fulfillment and ultimately more pleasure. Remember, the same sun that when it comes up, it makes the stony ground wither because it has no roots. That same sun actually makes the good soil bear lots of fruit and flourish. Same sun. Temptation, persecution, tribulation. Well, what can you do to avoid being like the thorny ground plant? Are the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches keeping you from being fruitful? Are you experiencing a reasonable amount of inner transformation? Can you perceive the fruit of the Spirit increasing in your heart? Can the people close to you perceive it? They say, hey, you're more like Jesus now than you were a year ago. Well, what does it mean to have the cares of this world choking your faith? We recently used that little trap for crabs with options in it. That's, you know, that's so much of it for our culture and our, the people who go to church in this culture. There's so many options that it just keeps us from engaging in a reasonable amount of biblical, classic, historical habits. Things like prayer, things like studying God's word, things like, saying, things like using your spiritual gifts to serve. So how would you know whether or not the options you have chosen are choking your faith? Well, you can ask God. You can also ask your small group. 
Would you, would you be up for actually being transparent with your small group and revealing to them how you spend your time and what your spiritual habits are? If you're not in a small group, hope you'll plan to get in one soon. That might scare you off, but um, plan to do it anyway. How could you figure out whether or not your riches are deceiving you, the deceitfulness of riches? You know, the, you know what the problem with being deceived is? You're deceived. You don't know it. Jesus said more about money and kind of making riches take on a life of its own and bad intentions of its own because it's so insidious. It's hard for us to know when we're being deceived by our riches. Well, you know, Jesus talked a lot about money, but we don't really have meaningful conversations among ourselves, do we? We'll talk about stock investments, but we won't really talk about how we're investing in the kingdom of God, most of us. So here's what I recommend. In your small group, discuss generosity. Discuss the biblical principles and what it might, what, what it might look like to be generous and what it might look like to be deceived by our riches and then get to the point where you will be transparent. And you don't have to tell me. I don't know what people give, but you need to tell somebody. Tell your small group. Reveal what percentage of your income you actually give and to whom. Remember, the average person in America that doesn't go to church gives away 2% of their income. The average churchgoer gives away 2.8. That's to all things that they give. And no Christian, serious Christian in history or on any other, in any other country would think that that's even close to what God would want us to do. The good soil in the parable has to persevere. But is perseverance a question of just gunning it out on your own power? You know, some of you have played sports where the coach says, you can do it, go, you know, push, push through, you know, and you just kind of gut it out. And I've, I've been there, I've done that. But that's not what this is saying. As I mentioned earlier, it's the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit that keeps us from abandoning Jesus. In theology, we say that there is a coin, and I'm going to use my hands as a coin, and on one side is perseverance. And so we can see this side. It's kind of like the one side of the fireplace that we can see with the devil flowing, throwing water. We see, wow, that's really hard to persevere. Look at all these difficult things happen. A person has to persevere. What we don't see is the flip side of the coin is what in theology we call the preservation of the saints. That the Holy Spirit preserves us. That's why we persevere. They're the same coin, just looked at from different perspectives. It's not because we're smarter than someone. It's not because we're tougher than someone. It's because with the devil and the world and the flesh pouring water on our faith, the Holy Spirit pours spiritual oil. I want to share with you one of my favorite passages about perseverance because I think this one gives you something objective to go on. It's from the Apostle Paul. He says, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed, that's the Holy Spirit, abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Now, even though the Holy Spirit lives in us, we still sin. Uh, we get off the path, but he brings us back. He brings us to repentance and obedience. Have you guys seen those, those dog leashes where they can let the dog go out farther and then they, they wind them back in, they let the dog go off and they wind them back in. You know, the, dog, the dog's going along and sees something interesting over here and the dog owner lets them go out there and then they gotta get back on route again. So reels them in and off they go and then see something else and lets them go out. I'm that dog. Spiritually, that's me. And it has been for the decades I've been following Jesus. And even, even, even now, although 
probably my, I get off the path. I don't go quite as far off the path. I still get off the path. I still sin. And what happens is the Holy Spirit says, you know, okay, he's, there he is over there. And then come on, let's get back on track and then go over there and come back on track. Again, in Pilgrim's Progress, you enter through the narrow gate and then you stay on the path. And uh, the path following Jesus is harder than just doing whatever feels easy, than just like water running downhill. But the Holy Spirit helps me to perceive when I'm off track, to perceive my sin, to feel sorrow for the way I've treated God, to repent, and then experience God's forgiveness and peace and relief and a restored relationship with Him. In my life, that experience has been one of the most powerful, objective evidences that God will never let me go. That I can be absolutely sure that come what may, I've got this long history of getting off the track and God giving me, getting me back, getting off the track and God getting me. So I've got lots and lots to go on. And some of you are young and you don't have that yet, and I, I get that. But remember as those things happen. Because, and, and some of you are not as young, and um, not old, just not as young. And you probably have a long history of seeing God bring you back. It's not about faking it and acting like, oh yeah, I'm just, I never sin. That's not it at all. It's about being grateful for the foolishness of our hearts and how quick we are to go astray and how it's the power, the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit that just like that dog on the leash reels us in and convicts us of sin and gets us back on track. And if that's been your experience, and I hope it has been, because if not, then you're faking it, then that should be tremendously encouraging to you that God's got you and no one is going to tear you out of his hand. Infatuation is a kind of love. It's a good experience. It's a delightful experience, but it, it doesn't really count the cost. It, it's blind. It's that kind of blind love that doesn't see the other person accurately. It focuses on the good things, what I call the goodies that come with that relationship uh, that are gained from the other person, but eventually infatuation fades. It goes away, and the other person is seen accurately or more accurately. And if infatuation is all that someone has, then they will often abandon the other person. We see this in marriages all the time, we also see it with people abandoning Jesus. See, long-term love is different. It sees the person more accurately. It, it loves them for who they really are. It counts the cost. It believes that the person is worth loving in spite of the difficulties. See, ultimately, your perseverance in the faith is going to depend greatly on whether or not you've gotten past infatuation with Jesus like the stony ground hero who says, woo but doesn't put down roots, and you've put down roots into the long-lasting love. It doesn't matter what happens to you. You're going to cling to Jesus. You're not going to let the difficulties of life, the pressures, press you, come between you and God and press you away. You're just going to let them press you to him. And that depends so much, just like in a long-term marriage, on whether or not you developed long-term love. One of my favorite passages is in John 6. And Jesus has fed 5,000 people and crossed over the lake and they follow him and um, they really like getting some bread and fish and they're really just there for the food. They're there for the goodies. And Jesus deliberately insults them 
offends them. He says, well, you know, actually, you've got to eat my body, my, my flesh. You've got to drink my blood. And this is anathema to them. And it says that many of them go away. And he looks at the 12 disciples and he says, are you going to abandon me too? And Peter says, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. We know that you are the Holy One of God. And he's come to the point where he sees who Jesus is and how important he is, and I believe loves him. And it's no longer about the goodies. It's about the truth and about who he is. There was a group of us who became serious about following Jesus when I was in high school, and we prayed together, and we studied the Bible together, and we went and talked to other people about becoming followers of Jesus. Um, But within five years, almost all of them abandoned Jesus. Most of them abandoned Jesus so they could have sex outside of marriage. My father in the faith got with me a few years later, and he said, so why did you make it? And that was a very good question because if you had looked at my friends and looked at me just kind of from a human point of view, you would have said, okay, he'll probably make it, he'll probably make it, he'll probably make it. He will never make it. I was probably among the least likely to persevere to not abandon Jesus. But my initial infatuation with Jesus had turned into a deep and abiding love and appreciation for who he was and that it was the truth. There was no other truth in town. Love for how he treats me and the grace and the forgiveness and the patience and understanding. It was, it was strange because from a merely human point of view, I was the least likely to persevere. But I couldn't see the spirit on the other side of the wall pouring in the oil. Let's spend some time praying together. And you might want to be thinking as you, as you pray, uh, we'll, be, we'll be singing a couple more songs and we'll have people at the prayer wreaths that would love to pray with you. If you're, you may want to sit there for a while and do business with God or you may want to get up and go be prayed for or with or there may be somebody you need, you'd like them to pray with you about. It may not even be about you, but we urge you to go and, and do that. Holy Spirit, we ask you to work powerfully now in this room. There are, I, I'm sure there are people who are wondering, are they, do they have the real deal? Do they have the evidence that they will persevere? Lord, I, I pray you would show them. And if they don't, that you would just persuade them to give their hearts to you. And Lord, for those who, who, who really do know you, but they've, they've never had that assurance, they've never been seeing all that your scripture says about how they will persevere because you will preserve them. Lord, I, I pray you'd speak to their heart right now. That you would help them to see the history with you that you're not letting them go and that you are so powerful and so committed to them that they would trust you and experience peace that they can be absolutely sure that they will never abandon you but that you will preserve them. And that that peace will give them gratitude and relief and joy. And Lord, for the many people in this room who've been walking with you for a long time and have a, a, a long history of you holding on to them and doing miracles through them and changing lives through them and changing their heart, Lord, I pray that you would just strengthen their understanding of your commitment to them and the certainty that you will not let the devil put out the flame of their faith, but you will maintain them supernaturally.
Lord, fill them with that peace and joy and gratitude. So if you're ready, when you're ready, I urge you to either pray silently or sing or go to one of the prayer stations. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelpres.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.